this idea of church and what does it do and what does it not do. And we're going to cover both of those this summer um, in, in different topics. And right now, we're going through these, what I call the one another statements. I, I think, I, last I saw in the math of it, there's like 29 one another statements. Times in the scriptures where we are told one another, serve one another, or do this one another. And Today, we're going to talk about a specific one about just being what I would say for one another. What does it mean for us to be for one another? That's kind of the idea today. And so I want to, I want to start by just telling you, um, you know, Shane and I were talking about this this week. Um, there's times as a minister that God gives you a word just for you. And then there's times that God gives you a word or a, a kind of a, a direction for the church, but but Y'all aren't need to know that right now, you know. And then there's times that you do need to know it. And so somewhere in all of that, I thought, you know what? I'm going to tell you the journey I'm on right now because, you know, you might not be interested in it. I, I'm interested in it because uh, it's me. But, but I tell you a place that I've been looking at in my life in general. Maybe, gosh, I, I, I would say... The first time I remember becoming really burdened about this was somewhere around 2010. Um, I just remember going through a season where I was asking a lot of questions about what does a church do and what does it not do. And, and I, I'm, I'm going to make this statement. And now some of this, uh, y'all need to give me uh, some leeway here. I realize that things I say carry weight. Um, so this is a little bit like group therapy for a second. So it needs to, you know, I need to, you know, some, some, some margins there to not get this 100% right. But I really, I really mean it when I say I don't think I understand this. And I don't know that I've ever met a Christian that I would say understands this simple fact. That the earthly ministry of Jesus, that in that earthly ministry, he spent the vast majority of his time with 12 people. And that just doesn't seem like anything we would do. Jesus spent, you know, the, the running joke, I think, is if, if we knew we had 36 months to live, we would do a lot of things, but we wouldn't spend it with 12 dudes walking from town to town. Jesus spent most of his ministry life with people. And yet, if you look back at, if you look back at how we've done church over the last couple of hundred years, we, we've taken in, in some ways, and I don't, I'm not saying it's bad, I'm just saying it's different, that, that nowhere in Jesus' earthly ministry did he set up institutions, cathedrals, campuses, or anything like that. I'm not saying we shouldn't have campuses and we shouldn't have churches. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying the movement did scale, but it scaled house to house, village to village, group to group. And it, and it, it was bigger than any one building. And so many of us, if, I didn't grow up in church. I didn't grow up in church at all, but a lot, a lot of you did. But I can tell you, as I've, as I've grown in church, church is often seen way more as a place you attend versus something that you are. Right? We, we are the people of God. And that, that transcends a building or a denomination or a sign on the end of Franklin Road. It, it, it's just different. And so as I'm looking at a lot more of this idea of the fact that Jesus didn't die for institutions. What he did die for was people. And where he gave his spirit 
wasn't inside of a cathedral or a building. He put his spirit in people. And today we're going to talk about how does that work in this idea of church. We are the church. And so there's this, there's this um, letter. So the way the New Testament was written you got the Gospels, and then there's a lot of these letters that went from churches to churches. So think of it like this. If, if, we, were, if we had been back in that day, it might have been a letter to the church at Franklin, meaning all the believers of Franklin, right? So he writes this letter to this church, a, a, a small town called Thessalonica, or a small group of people, rather, called Thessalonica. So 1 Thessalonians is kind of toward the end of your Bible. Um, and for those of you navigationally challenged, it's right before 2 Thessalonians, and I, I want to make sure we point that out. Now, Listen, that joke killed in the first service, and y'all didn't say a thing about it right there. I thought it was, it was lame, but it was better than a golf clap. So anyway, moving on. Um, so 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Now here's the context of what, of what he, uh, Paul, Paul wrote it, and this is, he's talking to them about what happens when you die. And he says in verse 13, he says, but we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters. Brethren is plural. It's all the people of God. I don't want you to be uninformed about those who are asleep, verse 13, so that you do not grieve as the rest of who have no hope. Meaning, when somebody dies, I don't want you to grieve like you don't know what's about to happen. Verse 14, for if we believe that Jesus died and rose again... Even so, God will bring with him those who've fallen asleep in Jesus. And for this, we say to you by the word of the Lord that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will not precede those who've fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven. He's telling you about the return of Jesus, right? The eastern sky is going to split one day. For the, verse 16, for the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout. And the voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we shall always be with the, the Lord. And here's the one another statement. Therefore, encourage, or your Bible might say comfort, encourage one another with these, ver the, these words. Now, let's keep going, though, for a second. Because he moves from the actual event of Jesus coming to the season and the time that it might happen. Now, as to the times and seasons, brethren, you don't need anything to be written to you. For you yourselves know full well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. And while they are all saying peace and safety, then destruction will come upon them suddenly like labor pains on a woman with child. And they will not escape. But you, brothers, that is you believers in Jesus... You're not in the darkness that that day would overtake you or that that day would meaning like it's not going to just like rob you or that you're going to be freaked out by it. So he said, no, that's not, you don't have to be afraid of it. Verse five, for you are all sons of light and sons of day and we are not of night or of darkness. So let us not sleep as others do, but let us be alert and sober or self-controlled for those who sleep, do their sleeping at night and those who get drunk get drunk at night, but since we are of the day, that is, since we're in the light, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love, and as a helmet, the hope of salvation. For God has not destined us for wrath, but for obtaining salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, so that whether we are awake or asleep, meaning whether we are alive or dead, we will live together with him. Here we go. Here it is again. Therefore, encourage one another 
and build one another up just as you also are doing. So what does it mean for us to encourage one another? What does it mean for us? So, so in these one another statements, these one another statements in the Bible and the New Testament are not specifically about the church, but they hold within the church the DNA of who we are. And so we are called in, in that letter right there to encourage one another. But I want to tell you, before I show you the definition that I have, I want to tell you what, what I see encouragement, what it's not. And let me, let me illustrate it for you. When, when, uh, when my boys were little, I used to, and, and I, I, I don't have to really anymore, but, but I would always tell them that saying yes, ma'am, and, and no, ma'am, or yes, sir, and no, sir, it wasn't manners, Right? I used to tell them all the time, I can like you. I mean, I cannot like you and still be nice to you. I mean, I'm from the South, right? I mean, seriously, you know, I'm from the South. We all know. I, I was on a conference call one time with some folks from uh, Connecticut and Jersey. And, and I, I, what I love about people from the Northeast is you always know where you stand, right, in the conversation, always, you know. And, and we were laughing because one of them had said something that was just like, super candid, like more than just, I mean, it was honest, but it was candid. And, it, and I was like, you know, and, and I was laughing, like, what are you laughing about? I'm like, we could never say, and you are exactly right about this group idea, but you could just never say that in the South. Like somebody would cut you, you know, with a knife because they, you know, like, what do you mean? I'm like, well, I love that you're so transparent about this idea here on this group Zoom call. And this was way before we were doing Zoom, way back, you know. And, and I said, but I'm from the South, and we just know that it's, it's, it's rude to tell you how we really feel about you, right? So we wait till you leave because that's proper, right? That's just what you do in the South, right? I mean, it's just what you do. And, and so they're like, do y'all really do that? And I said, well, if you ever go down there, if people say bless your heart, don't. It's not probably a good thing, right? It, it doesn't always mean good. Most of the time it doesn't mean good, right? So encouragement, like I used to tell my boys, yes, sir, and no, sir, isn't about manners. And when a woman comes to you and you're sitting down, you stand up. Why do you do that? It's not about manners. It's about honor. Because honor is different than just being polite, Honor means that I recognize God made you. Honor means that I understand that you're older than me. You know, I have often, I'm 49 years old, almost 50, and I still have people here at church often uh, that are, you know, well over 70, and I'll, I'll say, you know, you know, Mr. Whatever, Miss Whatever, and they're like, call me, you know, by my first name. I'm like, you don't understand. I physically can't do it. Like, if I do it, I hear my dad or my mom going, wait till we get home. You know? I mean, I can't do it. And, and, and it's because I was taught to honor people. And it doesn't mean I always do, but I try. So manners is different than honor. And encouragement is different than just saying nice things. Encouragement is way different than just saying nice stuff. So what is it? Let's define it real quick. Here you go. Biblical encouragement is pointing believers to the truth of their kingdom existence. 
that, that's a working, a pavement definition by Jason. That, that when we are told in 1 Thessalonians and all throughout the New Testament to encourage each other, it's more than just saying, I think you're awesome and, you know, you know hand clap emoji or, you know, 100 or whatever they do. You know, it's more than that. It's more, I, 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 think, I think you're actually... I'm going to tell you what God thinks about you. So biblical encouragement is pointing. It's like navigation. Like, you know, when you're on a boat, I love GPS. It's like when a GPS or your Maps app says proceed to the route, you know, means we don't have a road for where you are right now, you know, and so we're trying to find one. But I love when you're on the lake, if you're on a boat, if you, I love watching those instruments because the GPS has a waypoint and then it's always taking you to that waypoint. It's always pointing you to that waypoint. That's what encouragement is in my mind. Encouragement is a a waypoint that's saying, constantly reminding you of your kingdom existence. So let's talk about kind of how that is. If it's about reminding people, it, it's, it's pointing them to the truth of their existence. Well, how does that work out? Well, here's two key truths. Number one, uh, you, when you encourage somebody, you're reminding them of who they are. That is, redeemed people. When, when you encourage somebody, you're, you're encouraging fellow believers that they are redeemed people, meaning that we are reconciled people. We are different people. We're changed by Jesus. He even points that out in verse 5. Look at what he says. Look at this verse. You are all children of the light and children of the day. We do not belong to the night or to the darkness, meaning you used to be outside of Christ. Now you're in Christ. And so when you encourage somebody in their faith, you're actually reminding them of the change nature. And that's critical. It's especially critical when somebody has sinned. It's especially critical when somebody has strayed from the path. What I've found about people often when they've really strayed from the path It does no good to tell them what they did wrong. They already know most of the time. They already know. Just like raising kids, right? If they broke something, you can yell at them for breaking it. Well, that's already in the past. They already know they did it. Or if, if they did something wrong, what I want to do is explain who they are. Meaning... That's not who you are. When we hold even one another accountable, biblical accountability is not about shaming a person. Biblical accountability is reminding somebody that the way of Jesus isn't like that. Like it's different for us. See, I used to live this way. Now you've been changed by God. You're redeemed. You don't have to live like that. So when we are, we are not people of the night, we are not people, we are, we are people of the day. So we remind one another of the new nature. But there's another thing we do too. I think encouragement is reminding fellow believers of whose they are, right? Who, not just who they are, but whose they are. We are the people of God. And that's different. You see, there's this evidence. If, did you notice when, when you read that passage, did you notice there's a lot about the coming of Jesus? There's some evidence there that the people in the church at Thessalonica were afraid. They were afraid of when Jesus comes. They were worried about what happens to me after I die. There was a sense of anxiety about that. And what Paul is saying to them is, you don't have to be afraid of the wrath of God. Jesus covered that for you. And he points it out in verse 9. Look at what he says. For God did not appoint us to suffer wrath, 
but to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. He's reminding them, on the day you die, you don't have to fear it. You don't have to fear it. See, the Bible calls Jesus our advocate. You know what that means? It's a legal term. It literally is the same term. There's many metaphors for Jesus, but the, the, the metaphor for Jesus as an advocate is it has in its picture judicial, like God as a judge and you as somebody there and Jesus as the attorney saying, oh no, here's his case or here's her case. And the judge says, oh, it's fine. Case closed. It's all good. See, Jesus covers our sin, and he covers all the things that we weren't and all the things we couldn't measure up to. Aren't you glad? I am. Jesus is the advocate. So when we encourage somebody, we remind them of who they are and who owns their future, right? So the real question then is how? How do we do it better? Not, not, not from a shaming standpoint, because encouragement isn't something, oh, I know I should do better. You know, I, I should do better. No, that's not what we're talking about here. Now, encouragement is a unique thing. There, there's, I think, I, it depends on how you want to interpret it. But there's like 29 to 33 gifts listed in the Bible, actual gifts, like the gift of leadership, you know, uh, the gift of hospitality, that's, that's, that's a, a, a gift in the Bible. An actual gift that God downloaded into you. We covered some of that last week. But there's, there's the gift of service, right? So, like, we're all called to serve. The Bible tells us all to serve. But there's actually people that have been given the gift of service. Like, there's people that have been given the gift of evangelism, meaning sharing of faith, meaning... We're all called to share our faith, but there are people that God has actually like anointed and they're just better at it. Here's an easy target for somebody that would have that Billy Graham. Like I, he, he could preach the same. If you ever listen to a Billy Graham sermon, they're very simple. They're very simple sermons and people just came and they came and they came. Why? He had the gift of evangelism. My daddy, fishing with my daddy, I learned pretty soon. Like My daddy taught me there are people that go fishing and then there are people that catch fish. All right? My daddy caught fish. I mean, we'd be standing in the same boat, throwing at the same bank with the same chartreuse grub or the same crankbait and daddy be pulling them out and I'm just getting to drink Sundrop and watch, you know? I'm like, what in the world is going on? You know, daddy was just better and different, right? There's the gift of service. We're all called to serve, but there are people that have the gift of service, and you know it when you meet them, right? They're just different at it. People with the gift of service, man, they are, they're behind the scenes. Like, they die a thousand deaths if you ask them to do something in public. They don't want to do it. But they can get away with things, man. Like, my mom, I, I'm called, I do not have the gift of service, I mean, I'm called to serve and help, but man, I don't... People with the gift of service, like, they see things differently. Ooh, I went to your house and I noticed this or I noticed that. Like my mom has the gift of service, man. I mean, she could come... She will come into your house and start cleaning stuff. Now, you may think, ooh, I want to meet your mom. You know, but most women would be like, well... Is my house not clean enough? My mom has this way of making you feel like your house is wonderful, but I'm going to clean it. You know, and you're like, oh, okay, right? 
I mean, she gets away with stuff. This is, some of y'all know this. I, I, I never get tired of telling this story, but I'm going to tell it real quick, though. Some of you, because some of y'all are, you know, new here at Clearview. Like, my mom, this is a true story, man. One time I was probably like 13, 14 years old. My dad and I went fishing, and we were, he was backing the boat into the driveway. And, 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 I, and I happened to look back, and I said, hey, Dad, the house is a different color. Because my mom's high energy. And I said, he said, what do you mean? I said, like, Dad, the house was gray when we left. It's now like some version of yellow. And, we're, and then we're both standing in the road like, it's like she painted the house. Like, yeah, like in eight hours. And we're just standing there, and we're like, oh, pretty cool. But then we look over, and my mom is on a ladder painting our neighbor's house. And we're like, oh, Wow. No big deal. Nothing, you know, nothing new. Mom's high energy. I mean, she loves to paint. She's really good at that stuff. And she's painting all their trim work. And about that time, Don and Portia pull up. And they have a Volkswagen Beetle, like the, the OG version, you know. And no flower in that one. Just real, you know, for the you Beetle people. Don't you have to put like a flower in those things or something? Um, well, they didn't do that back in the 70s. And so Don and Portia pull up in, in, a, in, a, in a Volkswagen Beetle. And Don gets out. And he starts walking up. He's like, hey, Nancy. It's like, oh, hey, Don. He said, painting my house. She didn't ask. Like, she painted their house and didn't tell them, didn't even ask them. And so my dad's like, oh. And we're sitting there going like, what's about to happen? Portia gets out, and she's like, oh, hey, Nancy. He's like, hey, yeah, uh, I had some extra paint in your trim. It, well, it needed help, and I'm just going to, I just started painting your trim, and she was three-fourths of the way done. They had to let her finish. And, and so they're like, well, that's the coolest thing ever. They would sue you in West Haven for doing that, okay? You'll get a lawsuit in Sullivan Farms. You try something like that, too, right? Can you imagine somebody painting your house without permission? My mom gets away with stuff like that, man, because she's got the gift of service. I go, oh, it's just so awesome, right? So we're, we're all called to encourage. Some actually have the gift of it. But let's talk about how it looks in our real lives, because we're all called to do it. So I'm going to give you two practical examples of how you can pull this off. Number one, here we go. Number one, make encouragement a rhythm of life. Notice I didn't say a goal, because you all have different rhythms, just like you like different music. You know, Some of you like classic rock, some of you like rap, some of you like jazz. There's different rhythms to all. Make encouragement a rhythm. I love what Hebrews 3 says, look at what it says right here. Hebrews chapter 3, but encourage one another daily. Look at that word daily. That's a habit. As long as it is called today so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. We are called to encourage one another daily. That, that is to make it a rhythm of life. And so for you, the way you do it might look different from the way I do it. And that's totally okay. But I would encourage you. Now, now don't See, I, this world is full of introverts and extroverts, right? And so uh, the vast majority of people out there I have found are, are, are introverts. And so people like me make y'all really nervous. And we wear, people like me wear y'all out really bad. And it's okay. I'm learning to deal with it. And, you know, because, you know, that, and uh, I, I've said this before too, but I'm going to keep saying it because, you know, psychologists say that you forget 80, I think it's 87% of what you hear in the first seven minutes, which is job security for me, right? Um, but... But 
I want to say, if, you, if, if you're an introvert and, and people like me make you nervous, let me help you out. Talk to us. Because if you don't talk, we're going to keep talking until we find out if you like us or not. Okay? Because we need, we are, I'm all I've got. Okay, so I want you to like me. I'm going to keep talking until I get a little love from you. So if you go, if you go to a party and you get hooked up against an, an, an extrovert and you get pinned to the wall and like, oh no, just tell them something about them. Tell them something that's awesome. Get them engaged in the story. They will leave you alone, right? So a lot of you are introverts, and I get it. Notice that encourage one another doesn't have anything to do with introverts or extroverts. See, because some of you that are introverts, you're like, man, if I call them on the phone... We're going to be there like 30 minutes. And my people reserve for the whole day is 30 minutes. Like some of y'all only got people for, you got 30 minutes of iPhone power in your heart for people, right? I got hours, hours, and that battery doesn't even move, you know? Some of you got minutes and it's gone forever. See, but you think, oh, but if I have to call somebody, they're going to take all my battery power for the day. No, they won't. Then don't call them. Right? Write them a note. Right? Write them a note. Go to their house, drop off some food when they're not there. Right? There's ways around this. Game it. Make it work for you. But make it a rhythm of your life. I'm telling you, it, it really does work. And, I, and I'll, I'll tell you something. I don't know how this works other than to explain it that the Holy Spirit does it. But I can tell you that encouragement goes way deeper than you realize because more often than not, your timing is literally sent from God. I can't tell you the number of times that kind of one of my standard rules, it's just my own rule. It's not, it's not biblical, it's just Jason. But if a name comes across my heart, I act on it that day. Hey, man, thinking about you. Hope your sales numbers are good. If they're not, it's okay. You're going to die with nothing anyway. You see how that works? Just keep it in perspective, right? It's cool. You're good at sales no matter what your numbers say. If they come across your heart, do it. Because so often you'll find, I cannot tell you the number of times that I've had somebody say, I mean, you don't understand. I had just had the worst one-on-one -on -one annual review of my life. Or I had to fire somebody today. And it's been awful. It's amazing how God lines that up. So I'm, that leads me into my second truth about not only make it a rhythm, but I would say number two, Never leave encouragement in your head. Let it find its way to your lips or to your fingers or to your feet. Because it does, you know, y'all, you know, I think this is human nature, and, and I'm guilty of this just like anybody else would be. But I'm telling you something. Most of us think that people are way more encouraged than what they actually are. Michelle and I, have this habit. We, 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 we actually haven't done it in a while, and, but, but I love it when we do. Um, you know, if you're in the world of the marketplace, if you're in leadership, it's really difficult. And if you lead a team or if you sell a product, it's, you rarely hear if it's going well. You just rarely hear if it's going well, but especially in the restaurant world. I mean, you just, 
so early in our marriage, we decided we would, if, we, if somebody served really well, or, or especially if somebody was new, if it was their first day, you know, they'll always tell you, I'm, just, I'm new here. We'd let the, oh, ding, ding. And we would try to go tell the manager. So the first many times we did this, we would, at the end, we would say uh, to like uh, the person at the front of the restaurant, hey, go get your, go get your, your manager. And every time it was like, and they would go, and then, then the manager would come, and they'd be like, and they would walk up and just like, brace, okay, let's have it, you know. And we realized we were causing them all this soul anxiety, man. And then we were like, oh, we just want to tell you, like, Troy was awesome. Oh, well, thanks, you know. I mean, because they never hear that, right? So now we got in the habit of, hey, go get your manager. Tell them it's not a complaint. They're like, Okay, and now the store manager comes in this way, or the restaurant, they're like, like, what is it, you know? Like, hey, like, those shrimp and grits, like, off the chain, man. Those are great. And you just see them like, oh, thanks. And that doesn't make us heroes, believe me. We eat, we, we eat out more often than we do that. I, I, I'm just saying, we've tried to figure out ways at times to... to even as coaching kids, one of the things that, that, and I've coached in this town for 11 seasons now, and, and it's really easy to tell a young boy, I've coached football and, 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 and baseball, and, and it's really easy to tell them how they're not getting it right. And I work really hard to tell myself, remind myself to tell them when they are getting it right, not just how don't, you didn't do it right, or hey, hey, that's better, man. You're, you're doing better. And, let it, let it, and it's not just about praising them and making them a rock star because the world's going to tell them pretty quick they're not. And it, it's about letting them know you're, you're actually moving up, up the, the ladder here. This is good. See, I think encouraging is reminding people of, of who they are. And because and, the world, can we all admit the world is tough enough? The world beats people down. And, and I'm telling you, it is one of those things that I've learned. Don't, don't leave it in my head. Don't leave it in my head. Actually, actually speak it. Speak it out loud. I don't, I don't often go into word studies because I don't, I don't know. I don't think it's always necessary. I think that's maybe more for the small group hour. And, but this word, encourage one another, that you've read several times today, it's actually, the, the New Testament was written in Greek, and, and, and it's actually two words put together. Like, you know how in the South we do, instead of saying all of y'all, we say all y'all or just y'all, right? That's everybody, right? Well, this word encourage is made up of two words, and it means to call up close. Not like y'all come here, not that. It means that you speak out from a close distance. It's a verb. It's not a noun. So it's actually about you walking into somebody's space and saying, hey, let me remind you of something. And I'm telling you, there is power in that. Let me tell you something that grieves me a little bit. It really, it doesn't grieve me a little bit. It actually grieves me a lot. I can't, I can't tell you why I noticed this, and I can't tell you all the reasons for it. I can just tell you that I see it. And I don't just see it at Clearview. I see it everywhere. I think we're losing 
in the Christian community, I think we're losing ground in the, in the sense of this idea of being for one another. Life has had a way of making us look out for our own self-interest all the time. We think about our, I do it, we think about ourselves constantly. What we're needing, what we want, what we're not getting. But friends, let me tell you something. We are the people of God. And if you, if you read the last book, Revelation, it is going to get way worse before it gets better. Way worse. And Jesus isn't like making that up. It's going to get way worse. And we have to be the people of God that are for one another. Listen, there are, there are, it, let me say it this way. It is really easy for me to spot the things that I don't like about you, right? That's easy. I mean, they're there, right? And they're there in me. If you're looking for things about me that are going to bug you, let me save you some time. Come find me, and I will tell you, based on feedback for the last 49 years, and my own self-awareness from every personality profile, because I've taken every one of them out there because I kind of geek out on them, I know where the potholes are. So if you'll, I can just help you save you some emotional grief. Here's the bottom line. I promise you in the covenant of Christian fellowship, I am going to disappoint you. I promise. Like, that's not false humility. That's straight up biblical truth. I am going to disappoint you, and you're going to disappoint me. That's reality. It doesn't make it okay. It doesn't make it easy, but it is reality. You're going to disappoint me, and I'm going to disappoint you, but let me tell you something, man. The thing... Listen to me, Christian friend. The things that you and I have in common outnumber the things that separate us 100,000 to one. We have so much in common. And I don't know why we can't remember that. Churches are... I mean, think about it, y'all. Think about... If you were to step out, if you were to poll the world that are not Christians. Let me tell you how we're known. We are known in the church way more for what we're against than what we're for. I'm for a lot of stuff. But we are known as the people who are against this and against that and against this and against that and against this. Even in the church, what is the church? I mean, when is the last time that you ever heard of a church that have a reputation of being in a good mood? I mean, seriously. It doesn't mean that we're all in bad moods. It just means that we're known as people that are often stiff, starchy, and a little bit mad sometimes at the whole world as if sin was a surprise. You know? 
My, favorite, my favorite professor on the master's level was a man named Roy Fish, and I'll never forget what Dr. Fish told us all one time. Back in those days, um, most of your classes were, it's not this way anymore, and I'm very thankful for it, but most of your classes were full of men, and are young men, and, and now it's, it's not that way, and I think it's awesome. But back in those days, he, he, it was, I had this class that was all full of men, and he said, hey, fellas, listen to me. You need to expect lost people to act lost. And I never forgot that. Stop expecting people that don't know Jesus to act like they do and to value things that, you, that they're not going to. You got to love them right through all that stuff and expect it. Personally, I think it's why I've always probably been way more comfortable with lost people than I have Christians, to be honest. I grew up around construction workers, man. Right? I learned vocabulary early. You'll think about that later. You know, I learned ways of thinking early in life. I loved the honesty. As a chaplain for Governor Lee, I, 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 one of the things I, I, I miss about constantly interacting so much with so many people outside the, the, the faith of, in following of Jesus is the honesty, like brutal honesty about all things. I just, I love that. When we were looked at by the world, what would it say about Clearview if we were just known? Oh, yeah. If you go to that church, they're for each other. They're for each other. I think that would go a long way as persecution picks up, as struggle picks up, as we move to that trumpet call of God and the dead in Christ will, will rise first, as ministers begin to be arrested. See, if you follow Jesus long enough, you're going to listen to me. You're going to be called outcast, caveman, cavewoman, Neanderthal, uneducated, hypocritical, bigoted. But when we're in the family of God, we can say to one another, no. This world isn't my home. It's not yours either. Don't give up. Don't give up. Don't give up. Hold the line. Hold the line. Keep the standard. It's worth it. This world is not your home. It's worth it. Keep the standard. We are for one another. And if we could do that, y'all, I'm telling you, we would be known as a people of healing and a people of togetherness and a people that love one another well. You know, you often don't think about sharing something with somebody like a tweet or an email or sending them a sermon or sending them a podcast. You don't often think of that as missions, but it is. It's not that you have to send it to the whole world or post every single thing we do at Clearview on your feed. But if, if you've heard a sermon or if you've listened to a podcast, think through your life. I mean, God, who needs to hear this? Sometimes it, it, it doesn't need to go on your Facebook page. Sometimes it needs to go on your Twitter, but sometimes just a simple text to one person can make all the difference in the world is sending them the word of God in real time. Share it. You'd be surprised how far it goes.